when I was a little girl, um, my family visited extended family who lived in Arizona. They lived, lived there my whole life, so it's my mom's mother and her sisters and had some cousins, um, cousins there. And um, so we'd go visit and you know pick uh, grapefruits off the trees, which yeah. we didn't have in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> and my Nana had this, um, she had this house that lived, that, that was in the middle of this big cactus garden. And I was so amazed that it had this bridge in the middle of it. Um, and I just remember being so amazed. Again, Western Pennsylvania didn't even have cactus growing outside, but there was like this whole cactus garden. I just remember going out there and exploring and you know, playing in the pebbles too and trying not to touch stuff and getting prickles stuck, <laughs> stuck in our fingers. Um, but I remember just being so amazed by this vast array. Um, so fast forward about 15 years, I had the opportunity when I was in pharmacy practice to go to a meeting uh, that was in Phoenix. And so I set up time to go visit family there. And I had my rental car and I drove, uh, drove out to Nana's place in Apache Junction. And I, this was before the days of GPS and cell phones that actually did all the things that they do now. And so I had my directions printed out on MapQuest and I <laughs> followed them and I, <laughs> and I got there and I pulled up and I'm like, I think I did something wrong. I must have missed, missed a turn. I looked, the house number was the right house number, but it didn't look the way I remembered. So I double checked the address, the street sign was right. Um, and there in front of me was this sweet little house with a modest um, postage stamp yard with cactuses in this little bridge in the middle of it that went over like a little ditch that was in the middle <laughs> of the yard. And suddenly like my childhood memory or picture of this place was reframed in a different, but still beautiful and still sweet. I was like, wow, that's different. And so when things are reframed for us, we see things in a new way, maybe in ways that we haven't seen or appreciated before. And Jesus is gonna help us do some of that um, some of that today. So there are two encounters that we're going to walk through um, where, uh, where Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to help do that and help show where we may be focused, um, focused on some wrong things. But I want to set some context. So we have been three weeks in parables, uh, and then the last two weeks, and then this is our third week, there's going to be another miracle we're going to talk about today. We've been uh, walking through Jesus' miracles. And last week, there were three where Jesus walked on the water um, a couple miles out to the disciples in the boat where they, the storm was coming and the waves were coming and they were afraid. He calls Peter out of the boat who starts to walk on the water to him and then realizes it's windy and there are waves all around and he took his eyes off Jesus and sunk um, and called out to Jesus for help. And then they get back in the boat and the storm is gone. So those three miracles. So that's that's where we ended last week. That's at the end of chapter 14. And from there, they, they moved on uh, and were healing. And so we are now there in um, Genesaret. I don't know, Genesaret? Genesaret. Well, it's that word. <laughs> That's the town that they're in, which is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, while they're there, um, some Pharisees and teachers from Jerusalem, which was quite a trek from where they were, have made the trip up to come talk to Jesus because they had some questions for him. Um, and so, the, I know, well this was, the, the lectionary doesn't include this passage, but I think it's important to know where this picks up because, because it applies. So 
Uh, but they ask him, they're like, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition, for they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat? And Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the commandments of God? Because of the way that they were twisting some things to meet their needs and preferences, even if they were against God. And he goes on to say, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. This was in Isaiah 29, 13. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, so their teachings are merely human rules. So that is where we pick up <laughs> with our passage today. So they make the big truck up here to challenge Jesus. You all aren't washing your hands in a ceremonial way, doing the practices that we do, what's going on? Um, and then he challenges them back. Uh, so we are in Matthew 15, starting at verse uh, 10, and I'll read. And then Jesus called to the crowd who was around, listening to this interchange between Jesus and, uh, and the Pharisees. He said, he calls to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples said to him, and asked, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked, anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. But the words that you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. We'll talk about that when we'll finish the passage. And then Jesus left Galilee and went to um, a region north of, here, uh, north of there, here inside. It's about 30 miles up north. And he was actually leaving to get away from the, the confrontation with, with the Pharisees. So he's going up there for them to continue. And as he's there, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. So this is going to be hard to read, but I'm going to ask you to hang in here with me because there's reason and there's, his goodness is still there. He gave no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So there's a whole lot going on in these. It's, re it's really one passage, but it's really two, right? Um, we've got a couple parables mixed in with this miracle healing here. And a seeming, seemingly out of character, Jesus. So it's like, what's going on? And passages like this can sometimes be hard to read, but I think it's really important that we stay the course with it because he's doing, he, he's, he's being very intentional here, and there's a yeah, lot yeah. for us to learn, even in the hard passages that 
that are hard to walk through. So let's uh, let's do that because there's um, there's a lot here. We just talked about kind of where we've come through uh, through the parables, and so as we were reading through the parables earlier this summer, Jesus continually says, um, "Hear and understand. Listen and understand." And we've talked about, you know, what that means, like really understanding in our heart what it is that he's trying to say, not just more than here, but here, like really getting and grasping. And so as they're having this interchange and people are around and they're still listening, he's inviting them to come, listen, I want you to understand here because he's trying, he's going to do a reframe here because there are these practices that the Pharisees bless you, that the Pharisees um, and many of the, and the the Jewish believers were all taught to believe and to follow, not that they were bad in themselves, but there was something happening here where the rules were being elevated and the reason for it was being lost. So uh, Jesus goes on to say, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. And he's not saying don't wash your hands before you eat. Like, right. that's, not, <laughs> that's not the message here. Uh, but what he's saying is the Pharisees were so concerned that if you don't do all these things, then you aren't clean enough in your heart to come before God. He's like, you are saying these things, as that Isaiah passage said, with your mouth, and you're doing these actions, but your heart is so far from God mm -hmm. in the doing it, in the way that you're oppressing people, the way you're elevating yourselves as the keepers of the law and the perfecter, you know, being perfect in the law, which they're not. Um, but elevating themselves and oppressing others and doing that, Jesus is like, that's not what the rules are for. And so that's, um, that's what this interchange is, uh, is coming, where it's coming from. So you know, have you ever started a new job or gone to a new school, moved to a new school, and you're in a new classroom, so you have a new teacher or a new boss who says, well, this is, you know, they're training you on something and there's a specific way that they want it to be done. It's like, well, can we try it this way, or why do you do it that way? It's like, that's the way we've always done it, and that's the way we're going to do it. Like, I've been in workplaces that have been, that have been like that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so the Pharisees were kind of were, were doing, that, doing that same thing. Um, they made that whole trip up to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem, to make, yeah, to make a big deal. Again, trying to make Jesus conform to their understanding of the law, as opposed to opening themselves up to learning from Jesus, what he's trying to teach is he's bringing God's love and his true intentions uh, to the world, and they just they just would not receive it. And then he goes on to say, um, when they said, don't you realize that the Pharisees are offended? He's like, don't worry about them. Yeah. Um, he's like, you think about the kings who God rejected over time, who started following him and then were worshiping others and were leading people astray. Um, the Pharisees were losing sight of the law and were actually worshiping the law, not God, forgetting the whole reason that they had commandments and that they had rules. And Jesus is warning there to the people, listen and understand, is be careful who you're following because these people are not gonna lead you to the Father, uh, even though that's what they say that they're doing. Much like one of the parables that we read last month. And so then Jesus says, <laughs> or not Jesus, Peter, love, gotta love Peter. <laughs> he says what he's thinking, he wants to learn. Um, explain to us what the parable, the parable that says that people aren't defied by what they eat. Um, he wants to learn and he wants to experience. Um, 
And Jesus is like, don't you understand yet? And if you remember the early parables, like they weren't getting any of them, and then Jesus would explain them. And then there was one that he taught, and then he's like, do you understand? And like, yes, we understand. Well, you know how it is in discipleship. You're learning, you get it, and then you don't get it. I'm the same way. Like we're all, we're all like that, and that's what's happening here. And, but this shows that his ongoing teaching with the disciples, it's a, it is a discipleship process. It is a learning process. It's a back and forth. It's, we don't suddenly learn and then know everything. Like, we never, we never will. But that's, that's what this is showing here. Um, they aren't quite getting it, but they're not embarrassed to ask. He's not condemning. He just goes on to um, want to share for them. And anything that he goes on, anything that passes through the stomach goes into the sewer. Maybe a bit descriptive, but it makes the point. He's like, that's not what's going to make your heart not pure and right before God. But they were so focused on intentions and what things look like on the outside. When I was in pharmacy school, I, my last year, had the privilege of being a national officer, and there were five of us, and um, we would lead meetings and have to do different things, and it's pretty nerve-wracking sometimes. And we would talk about perception management. Like, mm -hmm. as long as you manage people's perceptions, if you looked confident, you were going to be confident. <laughs> you were going to be confident. Um, people weren't going to doubt you, and that was just kind of the thing. And that's kind of what they were doing. We're doing here too. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're missing it. You're making an idol out of that. And he goes on to to quote from Isaiah a passage that those Pharisees would be very, very familiar with. They know Isaiah's prophecy, uh, prophecies, and um, was it going to be what they were going to hear. But the bottom line for him, for Jesus, is saying, you know, what you speak comes from your heart not from whether you've washed your hands or not. How are you treating people? Are you hurting people with your words? And what is the crux of that? There's Proverbs 40, not 40, Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Everything you do flows from it. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Earlier in Matthew, um, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Our actions matter. The words that we speak to other people matter, and about other people matter. And Jesus is like, you're hurting people with what you're doing, with your practices, and that's what he's trying to to show, and so he's challenging them, and it challenges us too. It's like this, I think I shared um, in one of my earlier messages, there was a, from, I guess, January through May, was doing a, was a women's Bible study on our spiritual identity in Christ, and, you know, just, boy, talk about just kind of going through, you know, ripping up layers and, and really deepening understanding, and one of the, one of the sessions was really being honest about our intentions and seeking our motives. Like God show me, you know, oh, I'm doing this, 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 all these good things. Well, what is the motive? Is it a selfish motive? Mm -hmm. motive? Is it a, like, what are you seeking recognition? Like really digging into being honest with ourselves on what we're doing, why we're saying yes to things, why we're saying no to things. Are we seeking God in the process? And are we being true to him? I mean, I don't know what he would give us through that. So that's what kind of what, what Jesus is doing, not kind of, is what Jesus is doing here, challenging us to look to him, to reveal our heart about things, to help guide us. It can be a little convicting, 
um, but also freeing in a lot of ways. Like, well, I'm doing this because I don't want my mom to be mad at me, <coughs> or that, that <laughs> whatever those things might be. Um, if it it helps us to be aware. So it's like, then what are we idolizing, or what are we what are we prioritizing? So I guess the question is, have we ever been so focused on process or a rule that we lose sight of the lie, kind of like the Pharisees were doing here, or the point? So when we lived in Minnesota, Stephen and Charlie, our two oldest sons, we've had all of our guys here all week. It's been really wonderful. <laughs> um, Charlie's already gone back home. Stephen will be here heading soon. Uh, but it's, I mean, my mama heart is full. I had um, Michael too. We've just had just been a really wonderful week with family. And uh, so, but when we lived in Minnesota, and Stephen and Charlie were um, were younger, they were like three and four. We went to this early childhood family education program and. We'd go to classes and they'd do parent education while the kids played uh, and sang songs and learned great things. And so, but one of them, our, our instructor had kids that were eight and 10. So for us, that was like light years beyond where we were because we had three and four year olds and that was all we knew to that point. Um, but she was talking about responsibility and helping. And so um, one of her sons had tour, they had to help with laundry. And so his job was to fold the towels. And she had a very specific way that she liked to fold the towels. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah, so it was very, it was very important to her. And he was in Boy Scouts, and he had just learned to fold the American flag. Oh. And so he has the you know, big basket of all the towels, and he folds them all like the flags. And so at first, she went ballistic, because he was, he broke the rule, and then, but she stopped and realized, okay, what's the point? So he's sharing the responsibility. Um, He's practicing something that he knew. Was it really, really important that it was had to be done this way so it fit in the closet exactly that way? So we have a choice. And that was, uh, obviously, all these years later, our older guys that were that age are now in their late 20s. So that story still sticks with me because it's really easy to lose track. Got to do it my way. My way. Don't have to do it my way. Uh, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. So for us now, just in your quiet time with him, I just encourage you to uh, to be in prayer with him and have him reveal those areas that maybe not even realizing that um, that processes and traditions and just going through the motions um, have become part of what you're doing and losing what is underneath and the purpose. Like even as we come to church and engage in worship, and we'll have communion today. Um, remembering what we're remembering in communion and what he did for us and that honoring of that night at the Last Supper of him and his disciples. Um, it's sometimes easy to forget. We just, we go, we do it, but remembering what's underneath it. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. So in this next segment, um, there's another miracle that he's going to do, but it builds on the same thing of reframing and looking at our traditions and why they are the way they are. So this is a Gentile woman there at um, Tyran Sidon about, as I mentioned, it's on the, um, it's about 30 minutes from Gennesaret, I think, I say that, on the shore of um, the Mediterranean. These are very wealthy cities that uh, actually gained in wealth when uh, Jerusalem was scattered, when it was, uh, when it was overtaken. Um, Canaanites are bitter enemies of, um, of the people of Israel from a long time earlier. 
uh, when they were first going into the Promised Land. So for the Jewish people um, who were witnessing this, even for the disciples too, Jesus is significant. the significance of Jesus' encounter with this woman and what he does for her is very significant. It's huge. Uh, she also is, um, she's Greek, but from that, uh, from that same area. So uh, a woman, a, a Gentile woman who, li who lived there came pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. She calls him Lord, son of David. Mm -hmm. um, showing, she is a Gentile woman, she's not a, a Jewish believer, but showing her acceptance of his identity as the Jewish Messiah. Um, in this time, there were increasing numbers of Gentiles that were hearing his preaching, that were hearing about what he was doing, that were believing in his power uh, and his connection with God as God, Son of God. Um, she calls out, uh, the, this call out that she does, you know, Lord, uh, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, is an echo of a blind man in Luke's gospel that, uh, that Jesus ultimately heals. He's you know, Jesus is walking, he's calling out because he hears and they just incessantly call him and call him, but it's that same, uh, he's saying, Jesus, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. So as we walk through, some of these actions are going to be kind of hard to listen to, but we'll understand them a little bit better as we walk through. But it illustrates, um, I think passages like this illustrates how important it is to stick with the word even when, when we hit something that we don't quite understand or that seems in conflict. It's like, oh gosh, that's not Jesus' character that we've been talking about all summer long. Um, instead of letting that fester and make us worry or wonder, um, we dive in. So here we go. <laughs> uh, what's going on here? So she's calling out repeatedly. He didn't even acknowledge her, right? But he was focused on tasks. So have you ever tried to get someone's attention and you're trying really hard for help, whether it's, you know, you have a flat tire and someone's going by this again, days before, before cell phones that we have that we have now. But if you're in a position where you really need help or you're, you know, trying to get something off of a shelf in a grocery store and you're about to knock everything down and then you know, there's someone up at the end and you, you want to get someone's attention, it can be helpless um, and a little panicky sometimes. And she was desperate. Like, this is a mom whose daughter is demon-possessed. And a lot of times, um, that might be she's having seizures, other things we, we don't know specifically, but she was desperate. She heard about Jesus. She came to him. She knew that he could do what, what, she, what she needed him to do. Um, and again, she's in it's this wealthy city, lots of people around. It's not like a remote area somewhere. So she is basically throwing herself in front of Jesus, begging him. So just kind of get the get the scene there. And then his disciples are watching this, this Canaanite woman, and they're like, send her away. Like they were they were being annoyed. She was being seen as unworthy, right? Well she's she's not one of the people of Israel that's they're still trying to get their mindset and Jesus came um, first to the people of Israel, but we know he ministered to others. We know his gospel is for everybody and even in Jesus' own ministry. So we'll walk through that. But they're annoyed. They're seeing her as unworthy. They want Jesus to send her away. Uh, the question is, have you ever been told or felt yourself like you're unworthy? All the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can be made to feel that way or 
we feel that way ourselves. And sometimes we look at other people and like, why are you here? You know, it's like we, it's really important that we are aware of that. And so Jesus is walking us through the, the disciples' natural instinct here was like, send her away, annoying. Like, we've got ministry to do here. We've got stuff to, we've got God's work to do here, and she is in our way. She's distracting us, and she's getting on our nerves. But that would have been the party line of the day when he said, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. So that would have been what the disciples were thinking. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, um, in one of the, I think it was maybe Matthew... Well, we're 10. I have to go back and look. I know write it down here. Um, where he said that again. And we remember walking through doesn't mean that he's only. It means first. So again, in the, when you when when the Bible's translated from original language, there aren't always exact matches of words. And he came first. And we know that God ministered. And he revealed himself as the Messiah to a Samaritan woman in, John's, in John 4. Like, we know that, that his, his primary focus was to save the people of Israel, God's people, his chosen people, who hadn't turned away from him, to bring them into the fold so that they could come and know Jesus and know him too. But it wasn't only, uh, it was first. Uh, so what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's connecting tradition, he's connecting what people believe, the, what his people believe, have grown to believe their whole lives, and then he's starting to create a reframe. Um, he's saying what they might be thinking um, and then he goes on. So we talked about him coming first um, to them. And so he's walking, he starts to walk through this parable. So she comes and she worships him. She falls at his feet. And again, she says, Lord, help me. So she humbles herself. She's persistent. She's pleading for mercy. The phrase, Lord, help me, is the exact same phrase that Peter used when he was on the water and he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sing. It's the exact same. It's the exact same phrase. It's that uh, out of faith, Lord, I need you, as we've sang in worship, in worship today, um, in that moment when, she, when Peter had taken his eyes off. So it's another lesson about faith. In that, in that miracle last week, we learned about Peter's faith. Jesus asked, "Why did you have so little faith? I'm right here." Um, and he's and he's showing this. He's he's teach, he's walking us through another lesson about faith. So here's where the parable starts, and it starts to sound even trickier. Um, Jesus responded, it isn't right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Um, and then she goes on to say, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. So he starts to, to talk in a parable, and he's not, I, I'll clarify a couple things. So the word he's using for dog here is like, a little dog, a puppy, a family pet. So not like the dogs roaming, the, you know, the, the wild dogs roaming the street or something like that, which Jewish people would talk about these people in that same context, but it's not the same word that's used here. So this is, and he's, use, he's using the, the analogy of family. So the children, the children of Israel at the table um, and saying that we wouldn't take our child's plate off the table. Here, let me, you know, Steve, we're gonna take your plate and let me give it to Callie, our dog. Um, that he's saying that wouldn't be proper to do and that's what he's saying here and then she gets it like when he says he speaks in parables and says listen and understand she knows exactly what he's saying he's using this as a parable and she picks up on it she comes right back yeah but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps whether the children are throwing to them 
under the table or that fall to the ground. They don't have to wait until later. And um, the Mark's Gospel also shares the same story. And I like the way the way it's translated there. It says, uh, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So kind of still very similar. And he goes, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request, your request is granted. And she was instantly healed. The Mark passage says, for this statement, um, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So he did the healing. She got the parable. He taught in a parable, which is what he always does. But he was connecting people's stereotypes, yeah. long-held beliefs, long-held statements. Because he could have healed her initially and not addressed any of those other things. But he walked them through the process yeah, Jesus, yeah, that's exactly right. You tell her you're here to, to be to be God's people, not the end, but, but then he reframes it. And he's like, do you see the faith that this woman had? And she wasn't, you know, it's some of the things that Jesus was saying, she remained humble and she was uh, respectful and she just believed that he could do it. So much so you didn't, you know, you didn't get what, you might get in our society where you say, you know, you did not just say that to me. Um, there was none of that. Like there was no, not, I mean, she was like, she's like, I get what you're challenging, but even the crumbs, can you, you just need this one little huge thing. Will you do it? And of course he will, because he is compassionate and his, he is moved to love and compassion and to care for others, but he used this opportunity and he created a reframe, reframe for the Pharisees. And it's easy when we're on the side of the Pharisees, say, yeah, you got the rules all wrong. Um, but then in this one too, the disciples were getting it wrong and he reframed for them too. And then don't miss this last piece is um, he spoke the word and she was healed. She didn't need to be right there with him. He didn't have to lay his hands on her. He does, and we'll find many examples as we walk through, continue walking through the Bible. You've read them before, you've read them on your own, um, where he does, but he doesn't have to. He has that much power and authority right. over the enemy, over any evil. He can create, he can, he can do that with a word. Amen. With a word. Amen. So some of our takeaways, um, he reframed. So look at tradition. Uh, what are the purposes of those traditions that we do and that we have? What are the motivations of our heart in the middle of them? Have we worship, but our family always does this. It's just the way we always do summer baking or what, whatever it is. Like we have to do it this way. Um, are, we list, are we missing a purpose? Um, are we elevating cer certain groups or allowing other people to elevate themselves and oppress others in the process? by making themselves better than, better than somebody else by twisting or distorting uh, a tradition or a role. We've seen it in churches, too. There are churches that are very divisive and judgmental. And, um, and Jesus says something different. So remembering um, kind of this territory that they were in, she was fully, fully humble. Um, fully aware. She wanted healing. 
And what did it seem like Jesus' answer to her was when she started? I can't do it. Yeah. You didn't think he was going to do it, right? So have you ever been in a place where Jesus' answer seems to be no? Or you just have silence? Or you're having to wait? She didn't give up, right? She stayed with him. Maybe you're there right now, waiting for whatever that is, or healing, or answers, or something. Um, And God seems to be saying no, but sometimes no means not yet. Sometimes it means this instead, way better plan. Um, And sometimes it's timing that our heart just has to be ready. Um, He not only was teaching the disciples about faith, he was teaching this woman too about faith and persistence and perseverance and um, humility. Like she, she stayed in that place and he still did the miracle. If she had gotten offended and bolted the other direction, well fine, I can't count on you. <laughs> um, she missed the miracle, right? Um, so staying the course, even when it seems uncertain, even when it seems hard, even when it seems like God's saying no, sometimes no is just not yet. Yeah, and sometimes no means it's something else instead. Um, but continuing to, to stay the course. Um, Romans 8, we spent three weeks in Romans 8 earlier this summer, and it ended where we talk about God working in us, with us, and through us mm-hmm. for good. And sometimes in those moments, that's part of what is happening into happening also. So in 2018, uh, when we were still in Charlotte, I was uh, volunteering with staff at, um, at our church there. They did some restructuring, and I was kind of hopeful that my position was going to turn into a paid ministry position. Um, and I believe from my heart that, that was what, was what God was leading me to do. I just felt the call to ministry in his local church, and um, I believe that it was going to happen. It didn't in that timing, and I was really disappointed. Um, but God was still, I wasn't ready. There was still stuff that he would walk me through and that he would stretch me and he would teach me about humility and faith and dependence on him. And then we moved to, then we moved here. And then um, there was some restructuring at our church in Portland. I'm like, well, maybe. It's like, but it was, I remember being in prayer service one night and very clearly what I got in my heart was like, that person is the person who's going to be prepared to do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and just, you just kind of keep going. And I, you know, at the time was looking at these, um, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll find um, spiritual formation position in a humanitarian organization. And it's like a mix of, uh, mix of things. And he just would continue walking me through. And my prayer that whole time was, God, open the doors that you want open and close the doors that you want closed. And Close. <laughs> um, and but I learned a lot about um, humility yeah. and patience and trusting God because I knew God was in it and I wasn't you know, the as, yeah. as things went on and on you just you just don't know but then like even in this winter um, you know just walking walking through all of this and I've shared before when I got back from uh, visiting Charlotte at the end of March God very clearly was like your home is Maine and your call is to the local church. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and then it was the next week that I saw the posting here, and it would be a while for him to put those pieces together. 
but I marvel at God because I can look back in 2009, um, I was, um, Michael and I were going to a pharmacy meeting and um, I was working on a um, controversial but very important policy issue for the organization and so I had a piece of new business that I wanted the House of Delegates to address and North Carolina seats were filled. And so the speaker appointed me to an empty seat that hadn't been assigned. Um, so my policy item, you know, on unapproved drugs, was um, submitted by Patty Manalakis, delegate from Maine. How random, right? Like, I was like, I've never been to Maine. Um, I want to go sometime, but it's like, that was 2009. I mean, coincidence? I don't think so. Like, and there have been, and then my, my sister didn't live here yet. Um, I know I did my first project um, with TD Bank um, a couple years before they moved here, but so I'd never ever actually even been here. But then a piece at a time, when God laid on Michael's heart for a long time, it's like, we need to move to Maine. I'm like, no, we don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had boys in school, locally. So, um, but when we had, we had Charlie was at Chapel Hill, and Steve was at Virginia Tech, so it made sense. But eventually it didn't make sense, and God very clearly, since we started praying about it, boom, we were here. So it's like, God's leading, and so he's always putting those pieces together, and it just, I just marvel at, yeah, at what he, what he, yeah, what he is doing. So, and then, as one of the first times I was coming here, I started to get on the highway, and there's a little sign that says Brunswick 23. I know it's 23 miles, but it's 2023. Isn't that so fun? And then the highway sign on 295 is Falmouth Brunswick. I'm like, it's been in front of you all this time, so it's pretty great. Anyway, so the, the takeaway there is, could God be working a miracle in your life even when the answer seems to be no? Or there is no answer. We just don't know. He just calls us, just keep coming near. Keep coming near. Seek my word. I will show you what's next. Yeah. Maybe a flashlight yeah. step at a time on your feet. Um, you know, this light is a lamp to our feet. Yeah. Light into our feet, a lamp into our path. And I want the spotlight, mm -hmm. but um, it shows really far, like the one from the airport. Um, but that's not how he does it. And that's what he calls us to. So he invites us to hear and to understand. He will teach us. Um, he'll reconnect um, our traditions. Um, to underlying purpose. There was, um, I got some news this week in the midst of this joyful week with our family um, that impa impacts some people who I know, I don't know all of the details, but it would kind of sent me sideways and I was really sad about it and um, started to feel really anxious because it just pressed on some things that were had been difficult in my past. And, um, and I remember it's like, I'm, it's not God's, you know, I don't want this to, turn my week upside down. We have this amazing opportunity to be with our family. And I was working on our message, and I didn't want it to impact here. And um, so I'm like, in the Word, and just trying to get it done, it just was still there. And so I just turned on worship music. And I just started worshiping Him. Because when we worship God, our eyes are on Him. Like I'm not looking at my problems, not looking at somebody else's situation that I know is going to be difficult for them to walk through. Um, and it makes me sad, but it doesn't need to control our entire existence either. But it was starting to take me down that path because it was pressing on enough other things that really was starting to impact me. So he just says, come near. Come near and I'll show you. 
and then um, reconnect our traditions to um, our underlying purpose. Um, help us to see the needs of others around us. People approaching us aren't necessarily interruptions of our ministries. The disciples thought she was the ministry. She was the miracle that God was going to do, and they were trying to clear her out of the way. Um, the person I worked with once at the American Pharmacists Association said members are the purpose of our work. They're not interruptions because sometimes we get frustrated with that member call, member call, member call, right? It's like, we, we're a membership organization, that's why we're here. So it's that same, God calls us to love others. And then just know that his silence and his no's have a purpose. Um, and it's always a good purpose. Um, there's purpose in his timing. He's growing our faith. Help us to keep our eyes on him and above the waves and the water. He's our provider, our guide. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for traditions. We thank you for opening our eyes to connecting um, your good purposes with the things and the people uh, and the experiences that we have, Lord. Uh, Lord, help to open our eyes to areas where we may be judging others, where we're allowing stereotypes or preconceived no notions to influence how we see people who bear your beautiful image. Lord, help us to love others well in your name. Lord, give us discernment as we follow you amid joys and trials, amid the waiting, amid suffering and pain. Uh, thank you that you are with us always. Um, help us to see others as you see them, to love them with your beautiful love, um, move toward them with your compassion, um, help them to, um, to see you, help us to trust you uh, as we go. Lord, where we are missing uh, missing opportunities which, to connect the things that we do with the purpose that you set before us, Lord, help to make that clear. Um, help us to look to you for your word, uh, for truth in our lives, for strength, for peace, and for hope. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.